Tonight on the Virtual Bible Study, we want to talk about our reputation. A lot of people form an opinion about us, and we need to give some consideration to what our reputation is, Monty. That's right. It's important that we have a good reputation, and, and there's something that needs to be given a lot of consideration because they're, they're hard to build and easy to tear down. All right. I think that's a good observation. We're going to talk about that tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. We'd love to have you join us and participate. We're going to start right after this. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you to the virtual bible study this is the virtual bible study for thursday night november the 9th 2017 thanks for being there thanks for listening we look forward to your participation we always think the virtual bible study is better when listeners participate and you have several ways to do that one way that you can do that is by joining in the chat room uh, if you're looking at the video on our uh, web page the virtual just below the video window there's a chat room you can log in there give yourself a name you can use your real name you can use a pen name just some way that we can identify you we'll be looking for your comments as we continue with the study tonight you can also send us an email we'll try to watch the inbox uh, on our email send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and then if you care to get on the program with us live you can call us we have a toll-free number 877-381-4567 so you can give us a call and we'd be glad to have you on the air with us to make your comments as you notice uh, i'm not in my normal chair i'm sitting in jacob's chair jacob uh, is out of pocket tonight and so i'm over here in his place and in my normal place is my good friend monty overton monty thanks for joining us tonight thank you greg i appreciate the opportunity and we got kyle behind the board and uh, glad to have you kyle it's good to be here as always all right so we want to talk about how we form a reputation what our reputation is based on, and then maybe talk a little bit about how concerned we should be about the reputation that we have. Earlier today to our update list, we sent out some questions. We always remind you that if you're not on our update list, you can be. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We'll add you to the list. But here's the questions we sent out earlier today. Number one, should we be concerned about what non-believers, I especially want to emphasize, should we, be, should we have any concern at all about what non-believers think about us, and if so, to what extent? Number two, is it important what our fellow Christians think of us? And then number three, ultimately, we've got to be concerned about what the Lord thinks of us, and, and is it possible that the Lord's opinion of us might be different than what non-believers or even our own fellow christians think about us number four how will our how will our faith determine our reputation with the lord and number five what impact will our reputation have on others so that's the way we want to go about this tonight we'd be glad for you to join in and participate send us an email or get in the chat room see several people joining in the chat room we haven't got any comments yet so uh kind of uh Looking for that. Kyle, you might help me watch the chat room window tonight and uh, and give me a heads up if there's something there that we need to deal with. So let's take this first question, Monty. Should we be concerned about what non-believers think of us? You know, I suppose it'd be possible to say, hey, listen, they don't even they don't even believe the basic truths of the Bible. They're not concerned about living a Christian life themselves. Why should I concern myself about what they think of me? Well, I think it's important, for one thing, that we be concerned about what they think of us because what they think of us, to a great extent, is going to be what they also think of the Lord and his church. And so if we're not presenting ourselves well amongst non-believers, how we possibly think we're going to convert any of them? How are we going to have a good impact and a good relationship with them to teach them about Jesus if 
were behaving poorly amongst them and got a bad reputation. I think that's true. We we uh, I was in a gospel meeting earlier this week in West Tennessee, and we had a singing on Sunday afternoon, and they sang an old song that I hadn't sung in a long time. We all, we are the only Bible the sinful mm-hmm. world will read, and I think that's a good point. It just just a way to sort of emphasize the fact that yes, we do need to be setting a proper example before others. Because they're not going to pick up their Bible and read it. They're not. They're not going. What they what they come to know about Christianity, at least initially, is going to be based upon what they see of it in us. Um, Jesus' famous words in Matthew five verse sixteen: "Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven." So Jesus said, "We've got to be. We got to be letting yeah. our light shine." And if we're not doing that, letting it shine in a good way. And like I said, we're going to be having a negative influence on them. Uh, People to look at us and our reputation be, well, if he's supposed to be a Christian, I don't want nothing to do with it. Yeah. And and, and unfortunately, I've known of some cases like that. Through the years, I've known of some instances where people had such a bad reputation that others off to even investigate Christianity because they knew this guy, they knew him to be identified as a Christian, and they basically said, like you said, money, if that's what it's about, I'm just not interested in it. In the New Testament, there's there, uh, I thought of a couple of, of references where the opinion of non-believers was considered to be important. One of them, interestingly, is in First Timothy chapter three where the qualifications of elders are being specified. Mm-hmm. And in 1 Timothy 3, beginning verse 1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. And then it goes through several more uh, qualifications. And then skipping down a little bit, it says, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Um, isn't it interesting that an elder in the church, one of his qualifications would be he's got a good he's got a good reputation. When it says those which are without, I understand that to mean those who are not Christians. That's right. So, so um, what do you think? How how would you judge that in in realms of importance? Well, it would be important in one way of looking at it because a lot of times the people of the church here. We see them on Sunday morning for a little while and Sunday night for a little while and Wednesday night for a little while. And it might be that because of the nature of our work schedule, this or that, we rarely see each other otherwise. And so it would be relatively easy for me to pull the wool over your eyes maybe because you hardly ever see me. And you think I'm a grand guy because I present myself well at church. I make good comments in Bible class. and I, Maybe I teach class or this or that from time to time or whatever. And so for, amongst the people of the church, they think I'm a great guy. But then when I get out in the world, when I'm not around Christian people, I act like a heathen just like the rest of them. And like you say, so that having a good report of those who are without may be a more accurate judge of our character than those inside the church. I think that's a great observation. As you say, it, it's it's relatively easy to maintain your behavior during the limited times that we're get together in the public assemblies. But that guy who sees me every day on the job or my neighbor who sees me uh, uh, in the community, he may have he may have more insight into my real character than what I've allowed you to see of me mm-hmm. when I'm just at the assembly. So I think that's a good point. And it's got it's, it, we, we've got to uh, uh, be impressed by the fact that among qualifications of elders, um, it was listed there that an elder must be of a good report of them which are without. In Titus chapter 2, Paul said to Titus, in all things showing thyself. So here's, here's Titus who was an evangelist and his, his example, his influence uh, was being emphasized to him by Paul. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Notice that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Uh, notice, this. He, Paul even specifies, this is a guy who is contrary to what you believe and do. Here's a guy who would really like to be able to have some negative things to say about you if he could. In fact, he's looking for that. He's, he's sort of in search of some negative things that he could claim against you. But he says... He has no evil thing to say about you. That's that's a pretty good 
that's a pretty good test, Monty, if, if our enemies, people who would really like to be able to say something bad about us, if our enemies can't say anything bad about us, that's a pretty good test. You know, when I thought about this, right, just now, the idea come to me, we think of Daniel. And Daniel had, he would, had advanced in the Babylonian government, and he was a pretty high official. And they were lesser officials that hated him for it because they wanted that position for their self. And he was, of the, he was of this type of character here that they couldn't find anything bad to say about him. So they knew if they was going to find anything on him at all, it had to be concerning his religion because he was faithful to observe the commandments of God. Yeah. And so that reminds me of what this is saying right here. Here's people that says, I hate that man. I just wish I could find something bad about him to yeah. say. Yeah. And so that's how they was toward him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, that's not to say that they would necessarily agree with what we believe doctrinally mm-hmm. or or be persuaded that we're right and uh, about what we believe religiously. But at least when it comes to our personal conduct and the kind of life that we live and our gen- and, and, and our genuineness and our sincerity, they they they, they know that we're not a hypocrite, mm-hmm. at least that we practice what we preach. And so when you think about that, it, it, it really points out that the Lord has asked us to be setting an example, a positive example in the world. Now, I ask, what would be the limitations or the extent? What would be the limitations of that kind of thinking? Um, we should be concerned about what the world thinks of us in regards to the fact that we are living a sincere uh, moral life, uh, but we can't be so concerned about what the world thinks of us that we begin to compromise ourselves to try to be like them. I want them to like me. I, I want them to, you know, they're probably not going to like all the things I like. They're going to actually oppose the things that I stand for as a Christian. And so I can't be so concerned about what non-believers think that I would begin to compromise my convictions in order to sort of stay on their good side well you know we can see an example of that in the life of jesus uh jesus done what was right all the time some people loved him for it and other people hated him for it uh some people when he'd preach a message would accept the message and obey it and other people over that same message wanted to take him out and kill him and so that shows us that it doesn't matter what we do or how good we live there's always going to be some people that's not going to get along with us. That's why Paul had to write, as much as it lies within you, live at peace with all men. Yeah. There's sometimes I can't control whether people are going to be at peace with me because they're just going to disagree so violently about what we teach and stand for that they won't get along with us. And I can't help that if it's because I'm standing for the truth. Exactly. That's just the way it has to be. Exactly right. Uh, you know, the apostles... When they were called before the Jewish council and and were threatened because they were teaching and preaching about Jesus, uh, in fact, they were called twice. And the first time, Peter and John, when they were commanded, don't teach in the name of Jesus, Peter and John answered, this is Acts 4.19. Peter and John answered, said to them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So they basically said, as far as we're concerned, we're going to have to do the right thing. We don't, And if you don't like it, we can't really help that. And then even more emphatically in chapter 5 of Acts, verse 29, they said we ought to obey God rather than men. Yeah. And so we can't be so concerned about pleasing uh, the people of the world that we compromise. And I, and I actually think that some Christians do that. And maybe a, a good example of it would be in regards to uh, the way we dress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this probably is more of a temptation for younger Christians. But, you know, we don't want to look different. We don't want to be, we don't want to seem odd. We want to blend in. Well, what are we blending into? If we're blending into the sinful world, then that's a bad thing. And, and we shouldn't desire that. Yeah, we, we should, in that respect, we want to be that light that shines that we discussed a minute ago. We want to look different than the sinful world. We want to stand apart and everybody knows that I'm a Christian. He must be a Christian because look at the way he dresses. Yeah. You don't ever see him in short shorts. You don't ever see him with his shirt off or with revealing clothes on. You know, he, he he's obviously different because look at the way they dress. Yeah. I've even known some Christians who said uh, that they, I, 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 don't, I don't want my kids to be different. And my reaction to that is, 
Really? Are you kidding me? You want your kids to be like the kids of the world? Have you have you have you really paid attention to what you're saying? Yeah. There? Have you paid attention to what the kids of the world are doing? I mean, it just it takes uh, it doesn't take much to figure out that the kids of this world are engaged in a lot of things that I don't want my kids involved mm-hmm. in. I want my kids to be different, and so uh, we can't become so concerned about what non-believers think of us that we allow it to cause us to compromise our convictions in order to sort of have a favorable impression in their eyes. So that's it's sort of a two-sided coin. Yes, be concerned about non-believers uh, because you want to set a positive example that will influence them for for the truth. But on the other hand, don't be so worried about what they think that you would compromise your convictions in, in order to get a positive reaction from them. All right, we're going to grab a quick break, and we're going to continue to talk about this. Uh, and we want to talk about next, should I be concerned about what my fellow Christians think of me? Uh, we'll pick that up on the other side. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful, and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5.16 Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. Here's some quotes worth pondering. If God seems far away from you, who moved? Sometimes speaking the truth requires more courage than some can muster. Rivers and men become crooked by following the path of least resistance. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the virtual Bible study, and we're talking about our reputation how we form a reputation and how important it is, uh, it's something that we all need to think about. I, I don't think that this is an earth-shattering kind of topic for us to consider on the virtual Bible study, but just more of a, by way of motivating us to, to be careful about the reputation we have. We talked about our reputation among those who are unbelievers or non-believers, but what about our reputation among our own brethren? Um, some folks, I, it seems to me that there are some folks who act oblivious to the fact that other Christians also are forming an opinion of me. And, and they, and, and some Christians, Monty, act like they don't really care what other people, what other Christians think of them. I believe that's the case, Greg. There's some people that I think just absolutely don't care what anybody else thinks of them. They, I'm going to do what I want to do and I don't care what anybody else thinks yeah. about it. It's really their attitude. Yeah. And, and typically, I would I would be sad to observe this, but I think it's true that those people are the ones. If if they are if if trouble initiates in a local congregation, it's usually those mm-hmm. kind of people who get it sparked off. Yeah, because they don't care what anybody else thinks about them, so they they don't care what anybody else thinks about anybody else either. So they don't they. It's like they thrive on stirring up trouble just so there'll be something to talk about. Yeah. Um, uh, some examples from the New Testament in Acts 16. I think everybody will remember uh, about um, uh, Timothy, uh, who came to be a very close working associate with Paul. And one of the reasons that Paul sort of took him under his wing and began to to bring him along as a preacher and an evangelist in Acts 16, beginning verse 1, Paul came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, 
which was well reported of by the brethren, which were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go with him. I think that phrase, he was well reported of by the brethren. How do you suppose, how do you suppose he got that? I imagine it's because he had set in a great example of good exactly. behavior. Yeah, and uh, We've all known people that, especially Timothy was a young man, we've all known young people that they're all the time going out and getting in trouble and running with the crowd and, and you're just the kind, like we was talking about, the kind of people we would want our kids hanging out with. And so apparently, obviously, Timothy wasn't that kind of person. Yeah. Um, and and you'd have to think that this was a continual practice on his part. It wasn't that, you know, on one occasion he he spoke up and did the right thing. But you have to believe in order for him to be well reported of by the brethren, this had to be an ongoing uh, practice of his yeah. to set a good example. Um this would not be, he would not have been the kind of guy who, uh, you know, he's here this, he's here this Sunday, but then he's gone two or three Sundays. We don't know where he is. Yeah. He's back maybe for one service and then he's gone for four or five services and we don't know where he is. Uh, that's not the kind of reputation that a person like Timothy would have had. He had a, a, he didn't have just a report. He had a good report. He was well reported of uh, by the brethren. And so, as I think about how my brethren view me, I wonder, am I well reported of by the brethren? Would, would brethren say good things about me and my reputation? Have I, have I worked at nurturing an impression in their mind that would cause them to, to speak well of me, you know, sort of candidly? Mm-hmm. You, you get the idea from what Paul said about Timothy that, you know, it was sort of unsolicited recommendations yeah. uh, of Timothy. Man, you ought to you ought to see this young guy Timothy. He is he is outstanding. I mean, he is very he's a very impressive guy. I get the idea that those were the kind of reports that were coming to Paul. Paul wasn't asking; they were just coming. Yeah, I don't get the feeling that Paul was saying, well, "What about that guy over there? What kind of person is he?" Is probably they were coming to me. Hey, you're looking to have somebody to go with you. You ought to be thinking about yeah, this the, fellow here because he's the kind of guy you want. Yeah, he's 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 outstanding, and and and. and Again, that sort of reputation does not happen accidentally. Mm-hmm. It, it comes from a consistent practice of living right. You said earlier, Monty, I think it's a really good observation. You know, if I do, if I do the right thing a hundred times in a row, I can destroy that, that track record and the reputation that I'm building. I can destroy it by doing the wrong thing just once. Yeah. And and so we've just got to keep on keeping on. We can't let down. It can't be up and down, on and off. We've got to stay steady to the course if we're going to have that kind of positive influence. Well, if we're up and down and on and off, that's going to be our reputation. They say, well, you know, uh, he's basically a nice guy, but you can't count on him. He, you know, yeah. he's not here at church regularly. You know, yeah, yeah. but you know, he's he's here just often enough that. The church ain't going to withdraw from him. Yeah. You know, I've known people that I thought that's how often they showed up. Yeah. It was just enough that once every month or so they'd have their name checked off on the attendance list so that way they wouldn't get withdrawn from. And uh, we, that's the reputation they have. You, you, That's not the kind of person if you had somebody who was wanting to help you with the Bible study with someone that you'd go to get right. through it. You'd go for somebody that's it. Worship every time they do everything they can to help other people. That's the kind of person you want to go work with you. I've known some Christians, and my impression of them were, was, but I also heard others use a, a term: "You can't count on them. Mm-hmm. You can't count on them." Well, we want to be a kind of person who can be counted on. Uh, and again, you got to build that track record. In First Corinthians, we know that the book of First Corinthians was written to a church that had all kinds of trouble. But notice in First Corinthians chapter one, verse eleven, Paul says, "It hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you." Apparently, Chloe was a member of the church there at Corinth, and in that church among the Christians, there was widely known. And so here's a whole congregation of people who had a bad reputation and were not getting the job done as far as being a positive uh, influence with a positive reputation. In fact, here we are nearly 2,000 years later, and all of those congregations of people that we read about in the New Testament sort of stand out by reputation. Thessalonica, Philippi, really good congregations. Corinth. Trouble. That's that's a troubled church. They're, they got all kind of issues at Corinth. 
And so even as individuals, we develop reputation and even as congregations, we develop a a reputation and and we need to be aware of that. You know, we talked about the household of Chloe Chloe here. I think it's important we can see that that household had a reputation, that they had given this report that there was trouble and their reputation was they could be depended on to be telling the truth in the matter. Yeah, exactly right. So she was one that was... Uh, maybe a little different uh, than the trend in that church as mm-hmm. in general. Now, let me ask you about the limitations on this. So we said I need to be concerned about non-believers and what they think of me, but there's there's a limitation to how far mm-hmm. I take that. What about my brethren? I want to be concerned about how my brethren view me and at what my reputation is to my brethren. But is there any is there any limitation to how far I would take that? Well, I, I think that would be in some way similar to the limitations that we would put on the non-believer. Uh, I want you to think well of me, but I'm not going to compromise the truth so that you'll do that. Right. Uh, I want my family to think well of me, but I'm not going to compromise the truth so that so I think we have to have sort of that same attitude. I want well of me because I'm doing right and, and doing my best to follow the Lord. But if I've got to compromise my following the Lord for you to get to, th- to get you to think well of me, then I need to not worry about it. If there are brethren who are determined not to be faithful to the Lord's mm-hmm. uh, will, and I am determined to be, then they're probably not going to think well of me. Not likely. In other words, they're they're heading off. They're 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 going off on this course that departs from the biblical pattern, and I'm determined to hold hold true to God's word. Then they're probably going to think badly of me, and and, and they they likely say some ugly things about me because they're going in a different direction. And that'll just, we'll just have to let that be so. We, we can't compromise in order to one big happy family if there are brethren who are determined not to do the right thing. That's right. We, cause we've got to be constantly on guard for each other. And if you see me headed in the wrong direction, you need to be in a position to tell me that. Say, Monty, I think you're headed wrong. You're about to mess up. And you shouldn't say, well, if I tell him that, he's going to hurt his feelings and we won't be going fishing Saturday. Yeah. Forget about fishing. Doing what right is most important. Yeah. I was thinking along the lines of diatrophies in, in the book of Third John. John writes, verse 9, I wrote unto the church, but diatrophies, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. What, what, what kind of reputation do you think John had with diatrophies? Probably not good. But he didn't care. Well, I get the impression when we read that, that it was a lot like I believe it was King Ahab of Israel and the king of Judah had come up and they was making some battle plans to go to war against somebody. And all the false prophets was there and prophesying good stuff. And the other king says, isn't there a prophet of God around here somewhere? And he said, yeah, there's one, but I don't like him. He always talks bad about me. Micaiah. Micaiah was that prophet. He said, I don't like him because he always says bad things about me. Uh, And, and of course, it was also Ahab who said to Elijah, called Elijah, Mm -hmm. you troubler of Israel. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Well, Elijah was doing what was right. right. He was prophesying what God told him. And if that caused Israel trouble, then it just had to be that way. Yeah. Let me catch up with a couple of emails that have come in. Kent from Georgia writes about, should we be concerned about non-Christians? He says, yes, to the extent that our lives live up to the standard of the New Testament of Christ. Our society in general is not concerned about truth. Therefore, we we uh, dare not compromise God's standard to have a good reputation with the world. So, yes, we should be setting a good example, but not compromising. And that's exactly what we were saying earlier. Kent's on the same page as we are. And concerning our own brethren, uh, should we be concerned what our brethren think of us? He says, yes, to the extent that they that they use the New Testament as our final uh, standard of authority. So, again, I think he uh, Kent's very much on the same page as us. Donna from Florida says, I think our reputation is very important, not only to non-believers who may see our behavior in church and public, but also our fellow Christians. And we agree. And then Paul, uh, who's out, I think, in the Pacific Northwest, maybe Washington or Oregon. I'm not sure. One of those places, I think, is where Paul's from. He says, should we be concerned about what non-believers think of us? He says, we should live in a way that non-Christians may see Christ-like godly character in us that God may be glorified. Those around us may come to respect us for our faith when they see that we truly live what we say. 
what we say we believe in a kind and loving way and be drawn to Christ by our example. He references Matthew 5, 16, 1 Peter 2, 12, Colossians 4. He mentions an elder must have a good reputation with those outside the church, as we mentioned from 1 Timothy 3, verse 2. But he says we must not allow what others think of us to cause us to seek their approval over God's approval by compromising the truth. In this sense, the approval of man is a temptation that we must avoid. Galatians 1, verse 10, Paul says, Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Uh, That's really good, Paul. Uh, He goes on to say, Concerning what our fellow Christians think of us, our ultimate concern should be to magnify Christ, Philippians 1, 19 and 20. He says, We want to be a good example to our fellow Christians to help them grow. Paul wanted the brethren he taught to know the sincerity of his love. But he gave the glory to Christ and strove to be a humble servant like Jesus, putting others ahead of self, Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Thank you, Paul. I think those are good comments. Looks like we're up to a time for our uh, uh, bullet point break. We're going to grab that break, and we will be back right after this to continue talking about our reputation. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. No one likes to be put on the spot. We dread the possibility of being asked questions that we can't answer. This is especially true when the questions are about religion. Perhaps one of the biggest hindrances to spreading the gospel is this fear of being asked questions. If you feel uneasy about your level of Bible knowledge, you may try to avoid potentially embarrassing situations, sidestepping any discussion that might turn to religious themes. Unfortunately, this keeps us from many open doors for personal evangelism. Since no one has all the answers, it is important for us to know what to do when questions arise that stump us. Here are some suggestions. First, realize and be ready to explain that there are simply some pieces of information that we do not have because God has not supplied them. Quote, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, Deuteronomy 29, 29. But we have all truth, John 16, 12, and 13, and all things that pertain unto life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, verse 3. So every piece of essential information has been supplied. Secondly, when you do not know the answer, it's best to simply admit it. This is much better than trying to bluff your way through. Humbly say, I don't know, but do not fail to add, I'll find out and get back to you on that. Following this procedure will actually provide additional opportunities to teach. It keeps the door open to further discussions. Third, study, study, study. You will feel less intimidated and more willing to engage in biblical discussions if you build your confidence level by increasing your Bible knowledge. Pay special attention to areas where you presently feel weak in knowledge and understanding. Be well prepared to deal with popular denominational errors. Be ready to explain issues that divide brethren. And finally, never shy away from a chance to talk about God and His Word. The more you do this, the easier it will become. Every such conversation serves as an opportunity for you to sharpen your sword. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the Virtual Bible Study. We want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can find out more about us at our website, collegeview.com. We always remind people College View is spelled kind of funny. C-O-L-L-E-G-E, college, E-U-E. So check us out at collegeview.com. Uh, there's uh, a lot of information there. We've got some uh, uh recent sermon audio uh, that you can listen to. We've got articles from our bulletin that you can review. There's all kinds of information there, but especially important, schedule of our service times and a map to get you to our place. We're easy to find in Columbia, Tennessee. We're on the west side of town, 
and we are literally right across the highway from the Columbia State Community College. That is in College View. We're right across from the community college, and there's signs all around town pointing to Columbia State Community College. Follow those signs, and you'll come to us as well. If you're anywhere near us in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love to have you visit our services. Uh, please come. And we're always open to your questions, too. If you have questions about what we're doing, why we're doing it, or, or why we're doing it the way we're doing it, we're open to your questions. And we seek your input about the virtual Bible study, too, and your suggestions about topics for discussion. We've got several questions that have been piling up in our stack of stuff, and very soon we're going to have a one of our listener question programs. Sometimes we call them listener smorgasbord, and you can get in on that. If you have a question that you'd like to be discussed, it may be something that we kind of throw in a mix with several other questions, or if it's a, if it's a topic that we could spend a whole hour discussing, We'll do that, too. But send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and just simply let us know uh, what your questions might be. We're glad that you're listening to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're talking about a a non-controversial topic, but I think a really important one. And that is, what is our reputation? How, uh, how, does, how do we stand in, by way of reputation? We talked about the fact we've got to be concerned what non-believers think of us, but not so much that we would compromise our convictions. We've got to be concerned what our brethren think of us, but again, not so much that we would alter what we teach and practice, what we believe to be the truth of the gospel. But we ask the question, what about how the Lord views us? And uh, I'm impressed by a statement, Monty, that Paul made in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning verse 3. Paul said, with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. We've been saying we think it's important what others think of us, but Paul says it's a small thing. I wonder why he would regard that as a small thing. Well, I think he's using that in a way of contrast or in comparison. Uh, he did care what the Christians thought about him, because that's what he's talking about here, that I should be judged by you. That was the brethren, or if man judgments, the non-Christians. But he said, what he's saying is, in comparison to what my opinion or what my value is on what you or people of the world think, he said, what's important to me is what does God think about me? Exactly and right. I, you know, you're important. Your opinion on me is important, but compared to what God's opinion is on me, it's really minuscule. And, and and that would sort of sort of solidify the points we were making earlier. I can't be so concerned about what people of the world think that I neglect to do what God wants me to do. I can't be even so concerned about what my fellow Christians think of me that it would cause me to to fail to faithfully follow God. And and so Paul, I think, there sort of puts it all together. Uh, what ultimately matters, what the Lord thinks of me. Uh, if I can if I can have a good reputation in the world and with my fellow Christians, great. And I'm and, and I, I put some priority on that, but my ultimate highest priority is what does God think of me? And really, ultimately, that's all that matters. Exactly right. Um, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, um, we see sort of the judgment scene depicted. And John says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Isn't it interesting to think about the fact that God is keeping a record of everything about us, and he knows us actually better than we even know ourselves. And so God's record of us would include everything we've done, everything we've said, even everything that we've ever thought, God has God, and uh, of course, uh, the the wrong things that I've thought, said, and done uh, can be forgiven. If I've done if I've done badly, I can be forgiven. But just the very idea that uh, that the things written in the book, uh, God's keeping track of all that. You know, the thing about that is is scary sometimes. Yeah, because these things we've done in the past. Maybe back before we became Christians and we didn't really care about what we were doing so much that we forgot about. Well, when we think about repentance, uh, sometimes those things really need to be taken care of somehow or another and, and we don't even remember them, but they're written down in God's book. 
Yeah. He knew about it when we did it, and he still remembers it if we don't take care of it. Yeah. And that, and that, that is sort of a, a chilling thought. Uh, and we, but we gotta be aware. We gotta be aware. Now I ask, how, how could what God thinks of us possibly differ from what the people of the world or my own brethren think of me? Well, the people of the world may form an opinion of me that I'm, uh, I, I don't know. They, they, their opinion, my reputation with them may be that they think I'm some kind of a kook or an oddball or um, who knows what. Well, that's fine, just as long as God thinks well of me. Or my own brethren may think, you know, may falsely accuse me or think something badly about me that's not true. And, and I, I think we always want to clear up, if, if it's possible to clear up any issues that we have with people of the world or with our own brethren, then we ought to do that. But in the final analysis, what only the only thing that really matters is what God thinks. Well, the thought that I thought about when I read this question is how the Lord's opinion might be different of us than what people in the church or out of the church think, is from time to time we hear about somebody that's committed some really heinous crime. And then you hear the news interviews they interview and the people he worked with. Oh, well, he was a nice guy at work. He'd done a good job. He was on time and all that. Or they interview him and well, his family talks about what a great fellow he was. Or the people he went to church with get interviewed. Well, he was a good guy. He was at church. He was a Bible class teacher. We would have never thought this about him. But they found, we found out that this person's done something terrible. Well, it could be. I mean, that's sort of an extreme example. But the principle stands that we might have the people we work with or the people of the world fooled to thinking we're a great person. We might have the people we go to church with fooled to thinking we're a great person. But we're not going to fool God. His opinion of us might be entirely different than everybody else's. Exactly right. I think that's a really good observation. All right. So, uh, again, like Paul said, in comparison to what God thinks, uh, or what men think of us, what God thinks of us is is the major thing. What people think of us is a minor thing compared in comparison to what God's evaluation of us is. All right, now let's talk about how our reputation with God is being formed uh, on, on what basis, and we're going to start out by just saying that that. God's opinion of us is going to be formed based upon our faith. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a fair statement. In Hebrews chapter 11, we want to look at Hebrews chapter 11 here in a little bit of detail, and I think that's a very familiar text to most of our listeners. Hebrews chapter 11 is going to talk about lots of character, Old Testament characters and the things that they did. But it, it's sometimes referred to as faith's hall of fame. It's describing people who had great faith. And and the chapter starts out, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders re, uh, obtained a good report. So by faith, the elders, he's talking about mm-hmm. Old Testament time, people, men of Old Testament times, by faith, People of Old Testament times obtained a good report. So, uh, if you if you if I said to you, Monty, I'm describing somebody, and I said he, he's 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 a good faithful man. That would be a good that would be a good reputation mm-hmm. to possess, right? Yeah. Uh, or he's he's a, he he has a strong faith. Um, Maybe sometime at a funeral, uh, you know, someone says, I'm, I'm marveled. I always marveled at, at his faith. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you <clears throat> see faith? Well, it's obvious as we study through Hebrews chapter 11 that we see these people's faith by what they've done, by the works that they did, by the exactly. actions. Uh, the, the faith that they had is what motivated them to do the actions that they get uh, recommended for in Hebrews chapter 11. Yeah. Let's look at that in a little more detail. Let's take a break. Let's take our last break. When we come back from this break, let's, let's talk in a little bit more detail about our reputation, especially our important reputation with God is going to be developed by our faith. But contrary to what I think is maybe a popular idea, faith is not some nebulous sort of feeling or emotion. Faith is actually manifested in our lives by what we do, and we'll talk about that when we get back from this break. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. 
I'm Trent Haynes, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a reminder about the update mailing list for the virtual Bible study. Every Thursday, shortly after noon, an email message is sent out with information about the topic for discussion on that evening's program. You're invited to start sending feedback and comments that are then included during the broadcast. If you'd like to be added to our update list, just send a message to questions at collegeview.com and put add me to the list in the subject line. That's all there is to it. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Every year, 2.7 million church members fall into inactivity. From 2000, the combined membership of all Protestant denominations in the United States declined by almost 5 million members, or 9.5%, while the U.S. population increased by 24 million, 11%. At the turn of the last century, 1900, there was a ratio of 27 churches per 10,000 people, as compared to 100 years later in 2000, where there were only 11 churches per 10,000 people in America. The United States now ranks third following China and India in the total number of people who are not professed Christians. That information is via the Institute of Church Leadership Development. The Word of God says in John 4, verse 35, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're we're back on the virtual Bible study, and we're going to the top of the hour. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, we appreciate you for being a regular listener to the virtual Bible study, either if you are able to listen live on Thursday nights or if you are one of those who regularly listens to the podcast or archive version of the virtual Bible study. We're glad uh, that you're out there. Um, so, faith, our... our Reputation with the Lord will be based upon our faith. I think also our reputation among others, but most importantly, our reputation with God will be based upon our faith. But as we said just before the break, our faith has to be manifested in action. Uh, In that book of Hebrews chapter 11 that we mentioned, it says, by faith the elders obtained a good report, and then it goes on to describe a lot of individuals, but it it specifies money of what each of them did. In verse 4, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than his brother Cain. So by faith, Abel offered. In fact, in, in my text, I just have gone down through Hebrews 11, noticing where it says by faith, and then immediately it talks about what someone did. Mm-hmm. Abel is mentioned. Noah is mentioned. By faith, Noah prepared an ark, verse 7. We've we've that talked took a lot of faith. We've talked a lot about uh, what an incredible assignment God put on Noah and how much work would have been involved in constructing that ark. It's incredible. I was just talking this last week to someone who's been up into uh, northern Kentucky, up just south of Cincinnati, Ohio, where they've constructed a, a full-size replica of Noah's ark. Uh, some folks from here at College View have been up there too. Mm-hmm. And everybody that I've talked, I haven't been yet, I'd like to go, but everybody I've talked to who's, who's been there just overwhelmed at the enormous size of that thing. Yeah, when we read about it, and we just read the numbers and we don't think so much about it because it don't, you know, it's in cubits and cubits don't mean a whole lot to us. Uh-huh. But even when we convert it to feet, you know, that thing was a monstrously huge boat. I mean, it was it was really huge. It was actually the largest vessel ever constructed in history until sometime within this last century. Mm-hmm. Sometime within the last century, uh, some of these super tankers that go across the oceans carrying oil are bigger than Noah's Ark was. But, it, but think about what men had by way of construction advantages in, in the modern day compared to what Noah didn't have in his day. And it's pretty incredible. Now, I, you know, I, I think Noah, you know, men, men have always been pretty inventive to try and uh, achieve mechanical advantage. I mean, I, I'm sure that Noah probably knew how to use a boom arm and, and you know, and, and maybe some ropes and uh, and so forth. But he didn't have any of the kind of modern advantages that ship build, shipbuilders in our day have. And yet he did that. What an incredible! But it says it was faith. It was his faith mm-hmm. that, that did that. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. Um, Abraham is mentioned in Hebrews chapter eleven. We we remember the episode where he was asked to offer Isaac, his his long sought after son. When he finally had Isaac, then he was asked to sacrifice him, and he was willing to do it again. Faith 
action. You know, I've always thought about Abraham and his faith there. Uh, apparently God came to him in the night in a dream or somehow at night and told him, I want you to go and I want you to offer Isaac. And it says that Abraham got up early the next morning and got the stuff together and they took off. You know, if, if it would be easy for me to think if, if I was told I was going to have to offer my son, I'd cut, well, okay. And Drag well, if you've got to go tomorrow, well, they don't say what time. I'm going to leave tomorrow afternoon. I'm not going to get up early in the morning and go uh, do it. And uh, I'm not going to get in no hurry to get there. You know, I'm going to drag this out as long as I can because I don't want my son to be dead. Yeah. But it says Abraham got up early the next morning. You know, we get up sometimes early to go hunting and fishing money, but that's something we want to do. Yeah. That's not something we're dreading to do. Yeah. And, uh, but, but Abraham did. I think you're exactly right. Great example of faith. And then another one mentioned there in Hebrews 11 is Moses. Hebrews 11:25 says Moses chose to suffer affliction with the children of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He'd been raised in in, in as royalty yeah. in Egypt and had all kinds of advantages. He was considered as even as Pharaoh's grandson and yet he gave that up. He made a choice and acted upon that choice. And again, we're just pointing out that our, our reputation with the one that matters most, uh, God himself, is going to be determined by our faith, and our faith is going to be shown. You, there's only way to show faith. James said this in James chapter 2. Show me, uh, show me, he said, your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've got to do. One other reference I was thinking of in First Timothy chapter 5 um, there's a passage there in First Timothy chapter five where Paul describes what he calls a widow indeed, and and this widow indeed could be taken into the permanent benevolent charge of of the local church. In other words, if she met certain qualifications that are set forth there, this widow could become permanently supported by a local congregation mm-hmm. of people. But in describing these widows. He says, let not a woman be taken into the, let not a widow be taken into the number. That is the number of these who would be permanently cared for by the church. Let not a widow be taken into that number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works. And then it, it goes on to describe some other things about her. In other words, here was a person, her report, she had a report, she had a reputation. What was it? She was constantly involved in mm-hmm. good works. And that's and, and if we're going to have a good reputation, it's going to have to be that way. Yeah. Our reputation is directly related to what we do. There's no way around that. If we're doing good, we'll have a reputation for doing good. If we're doing bad, we'll have a reputation of, of doing bad. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, exactly right. Well, finally, we asked the question. Uh, well, wait a minute. Let me back up here and get a couple of emails. Uh, Kent says, our ultimate concern regarding our reputation should uh must be with the lord if we live lifestyles that are acceptable to him we will react properly to fellow christians and non-christians regardless of how they view us i think that's right kent paul says uh it is important to remember that man looks on the outward appearance but the lord looks on the heart it references first samuel sixteen seven. we all tend to put our best foot forward when we are in public with others so what others see of us may not be completely accurate. God sees us as we truly are. Our ultimate goal must always be to be pleasing to him, Second Corinthians 5, 7 through 10. Um, he says, uh, our faith, fully believing and trusting God and his word, will determine our heart and our actions. This motivates us to desire to please God first and foremost. In turn, we may win the respect of those around us, both Christians and unbelieving friends and neighbors, if, if they see our faith in action. Matthew twenty-two thirty-five, and following James 2, verses 14 through 18. I think that's right, Paul. Thank you for that email. We had one final question that we were uh, asking, and that question was what impact... Think of our impact on others. We talked about having a reputation with others. Uh, let's talk about the impact that that reputation might have on others. And basically, Monty, I would say that it's it's either going to be positive and helpful, or it's going to be negative and hurtful. Our what our rep, how our reputation ends up impacting other people. Yeah, that's the way it is. 
if we have a good reputation, people, and like we were talking about earlier, be, being dependable or being able to be counted on, uh, if that's our reputation, then we we're, we encourage people with that because they know that if they get in a difficult spot, they can call us and we'll help them out, whether it's a physical need or a spiritual need. We'll be there. They can depend on us. But if we've got the, a bad reputation that, that we're not counted on or can't be depended on, then when someone needs help, well, I would call Monty, but, you know, he may maybe can't, he'll show up, maybe he won't. I don't know. I can't count on him. Yeah. And so we can either build people up or we're going to tear them down. Yeah, I think that's right. And, again, I want to really stress that, that I think this is so important. And, and and voice some concern about the fact that it seems there are some people who just don't seem to care about that. that I, and I, through the years, unfortunately, I've got to say that I've known a number of Christians who just didn't seem to care at all about how they were impacting others. You know, that that their example, their conduct, the way they, they interacted was a real discouragement, and they didn't seem to care about that. Well, you know, we need to care. Because the uh, the New Testament teaches us that it says, "Woe unto the one that causes a, one of these little ones to stumble." Uh, if I've got that attitude, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me, and I'm just running roughshod over people, and I'm going to cause them to stumble. I'm going to be hindering their spiritual growth. And the Bible says, "Woe unto me if I'm doing that." So, I mean, that that's not a good thing. Exactly right. Um, in Romans chapter one, verse eight. Paul said to the Christians there in Rome, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith, notice, is spoken of throughout the whole world. That's a pretty good reputation. So their faith, again, it was faith. How do you measure faith? Well, what they say, what, what, it, what you do, what, what you manifest in action is what they know of your faith. But in, the, in regards to those Christians in Rome, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And then later in that same book, in Romans 16, verse 19, Paul would say, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. So here's even the Apostle Paul, who was positively impacted by the good example that these Christians in Rome were putting forth. And, uh, you know, You'd like to think, well, Paul is Paul was such a tower of strength. It didn't matter to him what anybody else did. He was just going on no matter what. No, he needed that positive example too, positive influence. Well, Paul was that tower of strength, and he was going to go on no matter what. But it made it easier for him when he had that encouragement from these people in Rome. Uh, he could feel like his efforts were worthwhile. We've all had occasion to where we've maybe think that the efforts we're putting forward for, for the Lord aren't accomplishing anything, I believe. And then somebody will speak up, somebody maybe we don't know will speak up and say, yeah, I heard a, a recording of a lesson that they had, and that really helped and encouraged me. And, and you, it helps you go on because you think, well, what I'm doing is not wasted after all. Yeah, exactly right. Philippians 2, verse 19, Paul said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul could gain encouragement by learning what was going on with those other Christians. But on the other hand, the church at Corinth we mentioned earlier was such a negative uh, bunch of people. He said in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, it is reported commonly that there's fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles. So they had a reputation. It was hurting. It was hurting people, not helping. Yeah, and, you know, it had to be discouraging for Paul because he thought, you know, I was there, and I preached, and I worked with you all for a long time, and I thought things was going okay, and now he's gone on to do other work other places, and he hears about this going, and he's thinking, man, what are these people thinking, you know? I, they know better than that, and it really had to drug him down some. Yeah, I, everybody needs to spend a little time thinking. Uh, wonder, wonder if I'm an encouragement or a discouragement, because we're going to be one or the other. Very few of us are going to just sort of be neutral, and people have no impression of us at all. We're going to be either positively encouraging or discouraging people by the kind of reputation that we have among them. That that's true. And we need to have that encouraging reputation because we don't want to be that stumbling block for others. Exactly right. Kyle, I didn't even check with you for comments. Not anything to add? No, it's just a good. You just you really never know who's watching. We need to make sure we're on our we just not not best behavior. We need to always be on our best behavior. We just need to 
Because, as you said, people are watching. I mean, people are watching. And so that being the case, we've got to be careful and set a good reputation among all, both Christian and non-Christian, but especially have a great report from our Lord. Well, that's our study for tonight. We thank you for listening to the virtual Bible study. We'll look forward to you joining us again next week, same time, same place. Uh, Until then, of course, read, study your Bible every day, live by it. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.